Six minutes it is now after 8 p.m. Uh, you are tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabonga Kawe. And uh, it's our Tech Conversations, which we bring to you every Wednesday, where we take a look at uh, all of the uh, key developments that are happening in the uh, technology and uh, digital ecosystems. And uh, uh, I guess uh, with where we are in the world uh, with COVID-19, no better time than this uh, to speak about some of the innovations and uh, inventions and uh, other uh, step changes that are happening uh, using technology and digital platforms uh, as part of the national effort uh, to respond and to flatten the curve. Now, emergency doctors at Charlotte McLaggy Academic Hospital uh, here in Johannesburg have innovated a new way to protect health care workers from COVID-19. It's called Intubox, uh, and it's a device that allows uh, anesthesiologists and other healthcare specialists to successfully intubate a patient in order to keep them on ventilator support for surgery or for coronavirus recovery. Professor Feroza Mutara, uh, who is uh, the head of uh, units at the emergency department at Charlotte McLeake and also the head of uh, uh, emergency medicine at uh, the Faculty of Health at Wits University, joins me now on the line. Prof, good evening to you and welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening, Ayaponga, and thank you for having me. Prof, let's maybe start off here. Um, you know, I was saying as we started the show that I'm familiar with the word incubate, but uh, maybe you can, uh, I guess, uh, give us a brief lesson on what to intubate is. All right. And how would so I use that in a sentence? <laughs> you you would intubate a person, so ah. it, it's a verb, uh, a verb as well. Okay. So So essentially what it means is that Sometimes people can't breathe for themselves, mm. or they can't oxygenate their lungs themselves, or uh, they can't protect their airways for whatever reason. Yes. And if that arises, then we need to be able to breathe for them. And in order to do that, you take a tube in a very specific way with specific uh, uh, pro- processes, and that tube would then be inserted through the mouth into the patient's trachea so that the lungs can then be oxygenated. Mm. Obviously, it would then be connected to a ventilator, which would be set with specific settings to meet that patient's mm. requirements. Okay, how has this been done historically? I mean, uh, maybe talk us through some of the medical technology that's been used over the last few decades uh, to undertake this function. Okay, so, so obviously before there were ventilators, it was very difficult to do. And, you, you know, the, the basic most basic way of giving a patient oxygen would be through a mask or with a little, uh, for initially first the mask and then develop into a mask with a little reservoir bag into, in which oxygen would fall and the patient would then breathe that in. But in order to do that, you need a patient who's breathing themselves. So the challenge was always how do we then make a patient who's unable to breathe. So if you're unconscious and you can't breathe yourself, if you're uh, airway is swollen or if you've had an accident and you can't, you know, can't uh, uh, inhale properly uh, or if your lungs were damaged from whatever reason, whether they, it was fluid or an infection or some kind of uh, hardening or fibrosis of the lungs, which would prevent it from being oxygenated. Mm. So that was why we evolved into an intubation and ventilation. So okay. intubation always goes with the ventilation. Mm, I see. Okay. So uh, I guess all of these innovations have now landed you uh, with your latest one here, which is uh, an into box. And uh, uh, maybe you care to explain to us how that works and uh, I guess how it departs uh, from some of the uh, other existing innovations that you were referring to. 
Right. So remember, the, the challenge is that you've always got an open-air patient exposed to the healthcare provider. Mm. So there's no barrier between yourself and the patient as you're doing this procedure. Yes. And as you can imagine, because you've got the patient's mouth wide open, you're putting things down his throat, there's always a risk for whatever the patient has in terms of an infection being spread out to the person doing the procedure. Now, generally, in a sort of non-infectious patient, it's a fairly harmless uh, risk to, to the person doing it, to the healthcare worker, to the doctor. However, when you have a very infectious patient, and COVID is one of those instances, you then stand the risk of if that patient gags, coughs, uh, chokes, any of those procedures while you are trying to push this tube down their throat, you obviously stand the risk of all that virus that is, or, or the infectious material that is then being brought up literally into the face of the, 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 the doctor doing it. Mm. And that in turn puts the doctor at risk because he's now inhaled all those infectious particles, mm. which would then make him you know, a likely candidate to get the infection. Um, I mean, we're using it now, we've designed it and using it now mainly for COVID. But, you know, in our environment, you could possibly use it for highly infectious TB patients Mm. or even potentially for an Ebola or a a hemorrhagic fever patient Mm. because those are all highly infectious and would be a risk to the doctor. Okay, all right. Uh, Talk to us about the process of putting this together. Um, I mean, you know, I often say that uh, South Africa for all its other challenges, has a very good national system of innovation. And I think uh, much of the expertise uh, from a clinical perspective that we have on offer has been on display uh, during this moment. Uh, How how, how did uh, you arrive at this particular one? And uh, maybe talk to us about some of the back-end work, because we also know, uh, aside from your role at uh, Charlotte McLeaker, that you're also an academic. (laughs) Yeah, I have a few hats. (laughs) Um, It's juggling a few balls at the same time. But... Um, in terms of the intubox, essentially what happened is when we started preparing at Charlotte for COVID, we already started doing this in mid-January, you know, when, when China was still at the peak of, of its uh, epidemic. Mm. Um, and, you know, we were looking at what was coming through and what, what was happening all over. And in view of the way it was spreading, you know, with travel and, and flying, people going all over on holiday, we kind of figured at that stage already that, it was coming our way. It was just a matter of when and how badly. Mm. So we started looking already then at what was available and, you know, how we would, because as as you know, there, there's still no cure for it. There's still a whole lot of variables that are unknown in terms of the disease and how it, you know, it's evolving and spreading and recovery and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and obviously, excuse me, obviously as head of, a department or a unit, you're always responsible for your staff that work with you. Mm, mm. Sorry about Excuse that. Me. Uh, I, d- I don't have COVID. By yeah, the I was about to ask. I was about to ask whether or not you, you've come into any contact because we saw yeah. one hospital in Guazulu Natal where many yeah. health workers like yourself uh, contracted no, no, no. the virus because it's, of that. It's, yeah. it's just uh, irritation in the throat. It's, it's not infectious. So anyway, you know, as a result of that, um, we looked at uh, how we would best be able to protect our staff. 
And initially, you know, with the discussion with my uh, consultants, with the specialists in the, in, in the department, and the three other uh, doctors who were involved in it, we sat and looked at, you know, what would be the best way to protect our staff. Mm-hmm. So, in, you know, the first thing we did was we went out and bought uh, uh, quite significant visors, you know, face shields that all our staff could wear. But then realized quickly that, you know, there's still lots of room around and at the bottom that the virus could still enter. Mm. And then started looking around to see, well, what else was there in the world? And uh, there was a doctor uh, overseas in, in China who had developed a very simple sort of square box with two holes to use. But, uh, you know, the back end of the box was open, so... While it did provide some protection, it, we, we looked at it and felt it wasn't adequate enough. So we then decided, well, we need to modify this and make it more protective and uh, safer for, for the staff. And that's where the box sort of evolved from. So we took a cardboard box, we cut a few holes, used a bit of paper, uh, you know, played around with it, adjusted things. And, you know, it evolved from there. And I mean, I must say, but my colleagues, uh, Professor Lahir, Dr. Mullah and Dr. Duplessy, who are my consultants or specialists in the unit, played a significant role in, in, in its involvement. Mm. And, and I guess the, the bigger question is, yes, you know, the, uh, in as much as we welcome this innovation, and I think it is indeed a, a welcome innovation in the fight against COVID. But uh, uh, you would uh, certainly be familiar with many of the uh, concerns by healthcare uh, professionals about uh, uh, the uh, scarcity of uh, personal protective equipment. We saw Nehal mm. taking the government uh, to the Labour Court over the last day or so. And uh, and it's quite clear, I mean, even on the part of the Treasury who put out um, you know a central procurement notice earlier on today that sure. there is a recognition that there's a shortage of oh. some of the uh, protective equipment that's crucial to mounting an effective uh, medical clinical response here. How do we overcome that one? And I know, yes, it's part an industrial question, but also it's part a medical question as well. No, it, it, it's a very relevant question, Ibonga, because at the end of the day, we can have all the fancy devices, but if we don't have basic protection, we don't have gloves, we don't have uh, aprons, we don't have uh, proper N95 masks, um, then, you know, it, it's of absolutely no value that we have a fancy intubox. Um, you know, having designed and developed this intubox was with the premise that you have all the other basic stuff on hand and that obviously the people using the box have been trained and familiar with it and that, you know, all the adjuncts that you would need to use it would be available. Now, we've always had challenges and shortages in, in our public sector hospitals. But I just want to emphasize that this time round, even though there are shortages, it is not peculiar to our country. Mm. I mean, you have to look at a country like America and like the UK. And, you know, those are first world in highly uh, uh, economically successful countries. And they are struggling. They don't have so because this is a, a worldwide pandemic that has affected almost every country in the world, you know, everyone, if you think of where it started in China, we all know that a lot of the stuff we're using comes from China. Yes. So that already put a blockage on, I mean, I know that our hospital, for example, had ordered, and the Department of Health in Gauteng had ordered months ago, 
<clears throat> but because China wasn't producing, we weren't getting any. And, you know, if you look at what's happened in Europe, they had so much more of the the the, the bark of the infection before us that mm. they were already utilizing all the resources. So, yes, there, there, there's probably a shortage, and I think some hospitals are affected or some areas are affected more than others. For now, at Charlotte, um, we are okay, we are coping, and we have enough. How long for, I can't tell you, because I'm not sure what the store stocks are like. Mm-hmm. And, and it is a challenge, because, you know, you're putting staff, both nurses and doctors, into um, a situation with a highly infectious disease. And at the end of the day, you, you know, you, you're providing inadequate PPE and all the healthcare workers, for example, in Italy that died were as a result, not because they were negligent or anything, was a result of not having adequate PPE Mm. and not using it properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess the other question, I mean, just, uh, you know, now in your role as um, the the head of the emergency services at Charlotte McClucky Academic, um, we know that that is the, I guess, the main COVID hospital in Johannesburg, if I can put it that way. I mean, just mm-hmm. just talk to us there about, uh, you know, whether or not uh, the hospital itself and its facilities are able to cope here. I mean, we're nearing uh, the winter season now, and uh, we, sure. we certainly wouldn't want a situation where uh, the capacity of our public health facilities is stretched to the rafters. Talk to us about um, the current situation at Charlotte Maclake. What are some of the things that you're seeing there? Okay. And I guess, you know, even more openly, uh, where are some of the challenges? All right. So in terms of capacity, I must say that all the med- all the departments in the hospital, all the specialist departments have come to on board. So we, for example, have cancelled all elective surgery. So all planned surgery has been stopped. Um, all the outpatient clinics have minimized to just emergency appointments. So... In terms of capacity and the numbers that we normally treat, that has been significantly reduced. Obviously, we we know that you know a patient's been waiting for the hip transplant, for example, or a hip replacement, for example, uh, for five months. But it's now taken a back seat in view of this, mm. and that has then enabled the wards into which those patients would have gone to be uh, free in terms of their bed capacity. And all we've done is we've then consolidated, uh, you know, wards. So, for example, two surgical wards where, you know, all the elective surgery was cancelled has now been made into one, which is three, the second ward. So we have created significant numbers of beds. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, and I don't have the exact tally, but we're looking at between 150 and 200 more Mm. beds at this stage. For what we are seeing now, that is adequate. If this uh, uh, outbreak has to get really bad, you know, and go the way of Italy and uh, other European countries, then obviously we need to look at our escalation plans. And those plans are in place in terms of having backup capacity. And there are various uh, sites that the Department of Health, Mm. and that's sort of beyond the Charlotte, um, you know, sort of, the core competency. It would be a wider Department of Health issue where they have already identified and are preparing sites that we would be able to use for extra bed capacity. Okay. Prof, 
let's uh, uh, let's uh, leave this one here and uh, I guess leave you uh, to continue uh, with the very impactful work that you continue to do and uh, we wish you all the best in uh, that uh, uh, task and uh, we really really are grateful and I know I say this on behalf of uh, all here at the public broadcaster really grateful for all of the efforts that you've put in uh, to uh, continue and at the front line of uh, our national effort to respond to this challenge. Thank you, Ayabonga. And can I just say in closing that yes. I, I wouldn't be able to do the job I do without the amazing support I get from my doctors, mm. my nurses, the cleaning staff, sure. the security, whoever's involved in the unit makes it possible to do what we do. Thank you very much, Prof. Thank you so much. That there was uh, Professor Feroza Mutara, academic head of uh, the Division of Emergency Medicine at uh, the University of the Witwatersrand. She also heads uh, the units in the emergency departments at Charlotte Maclake uh, uh, Johannesburg Academic Hospital. And uh, certainly, I guess, at the coalface of uh, responding to this particular challenge, speaking about some of the things that they've done and uh, some of the things that they've had to place on hold uh, to ensure that that particular facility is ready uh, to take up uh, that challenge. I'd love to hear from you. What do you make of that?